Well, good morning, Harvest. It is so good to be with you. Uh, happy uh, New Year's Eve. And um, it's just a joy to be with you. So honored that you would make it out through the snow and the weather today to be able to be here. Uh, it's just a, a special time. It's also just uh, fun for me personally, and having my brother and his family here uh, this morning. Uh, we did, were in business together for a lot of years until uh, he let a hostile takeover to kick me out. No. <laughs> um, love my brother and uh, his impact in my life, and uh, just great to be here with you. Hey, I don't know about you, but I am actually right now very much looking forward to 2017 ending. Um, Karen and I were taught decades ago uh, to see life through three to five year chapters. And uh, we have really found that out to be true, not only in our lives, but also just in the life of ministry as that has unfolded. I think there's a tendency for us to see life almost more like a movie. Um, Movies have this way about them that they just start and then they just keep rolling and it's like you can't catch your breath sometimes. And and items unfold after event, after event, after event and uh, uh, in all of that, it's kind of like life feels like that. But that's actually not the way life happens. I'd suggest that actually life happens more like a book. Uh, Books unfold by chapters. Chapters are read slower than a movie. And uh, chapters also provide you the opportunity at times to be able just to pause within a chapter or especially kind of at the end of a chapter to be able to uh, take some time and consider what's been taking place. Um, we have, Karen and I have been talking about just these last three years of our life, and um, these have, this has been an interesting, tough time, frankly, for us over the last three years, and we we're kind of like, what would we title this chapter? And I think I just keep coming back to this term of kind of uh, set aside by the Lord, kind of this whole idea of, of like set aside in your weaknesses or set aside to learn perseverance, I think is what I'd settle on. Karen, in the conversation on it, she said, uh, you know, maybe we could just title it, Please Make It Stop. Um, But we decided, no, uh, set aside to learn perseverance. Um, I remember being in sports. And there were times in sports where you're kind of pulled out of the game and you're set on the bench. Uh, There's a reason for that. There's a purpose for that. Uh, Oftentimes, that was best, what was best for me in that. Um, it was also best for the team in that as it takes place. And, and, and there's something that interesting that happens on the bench, if you want to call it that, set aside over there. When, when you're sitting down there, it, it, it causes you to look forward to get back into the game. You know, all of a sudden when things, then it's like you can get back into where you were or what you love doing. It's like you can get back in and you're excited. It causes you to hope forward. It also causes you to have some time to where you just assess what is really going on right now, both personally with you, with the whole of the environment of what's going on, and I think sometimes there can, things can settle down to like a statement or a few words. For me personally, just kind of sharing you from my heart, because part, one of the things I've learned over the years is kind of where, uh, if you will, where uh, a senior pastor and a structure kind of goes oftentimes is where uh, things end up moving here in the coming uh, times ahead, and so this is a little bit of advanced note to you, 
on some things as well. But I want to tell you, there's two words. One of the words I want to share with you today, because I think it has grand implications in our text today. The other I'll share with you next Sunday. But the first word is people. People. And the priority of people. I might say it this way. People over projects. Lives over lists. Faces over functions. Souls over systems. People. There's a priority about people. And we can oftentimes get caught in the other things associated that can be important with that, but not people. Open your Bibles to Psalm 117, if you would, please. Um, Psalm 117, it's page 511. If you're using one of the Bibles there, if you're visiting with us or new here, we're big about the Bible. You don't want to hear really what I have to say. You want to hear what God's word has to say. So there's something powerful about having it on our laps, being able to look into it and see what God has penned down for us. Uh, I'm going to be doing Psalm 117 today. Uh, We'll be doing Psalm 117. Uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 118 the next Sunday. And all next year, we're doing Psalm 119. No, actually not true. Um, and then we'll be kind of done with our Psalm series. Uh, let me begin with uh, five fun facts about Psalm 117 and 18. You ready for some fun facts? <laughs> Didn't know the Psalms could be so fun. Uh, here's fact number one. Psalm 117 and 18 are the exact center of your Bible. You know, I don't know who has the time to do this. But when you look at it and go by the word count, uh, depending on what version, actually, it either falls right in 117 or 118. Isn't that meaningful? <laughs> People have time to do that. So that was a fun fact. Uh, secondly, Psalm 117 and 18, uh, these chapters are part of what's called the Egyptian Hallel. Uh, Psalm 113 through 18 is the whole of that. Uh, It's built around this emphasis coming out of Psalm 114, actually, that's referencing back to what what God did in the Exodus uh, with what took place there. And these six psalms were sung by the Hebrews at the time of the Passover meal. So what would happen is Psalms 113 and 14 were sung before the meal. Psalm 115, 16, 17, 18 were sung after the meal. Okay, in the fun fact of that, what does it really matter? I actually think it has something very cool in it. Listen, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're in Psalm 117, 118, part of the, uh, the Egyptian Hillel, which is making reference to this fact. Listen, when Jesus and the disciples gathered together before his crucifixion, they sang these two chapters were part of that process. There's just something special about that, wonderful about that. Uh, Fun fact number three, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. How many verses? Two. Two. two, uh. It's got two verses in it. And yes, I will, I promise you, I will be be able to go more than two minutes on it. In fact, I'll be able to go more than 20 minutes on it. Um, Not two hours. Uh, That would have been a great time for praise the Lord. Uh, Shortest chapter by, by the way, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible with 176 verses in it. That means Psalm 118 is right in the middle, which means it's just right in the middle. Just a fun fact. Uh, Fun fact number four, this little gem, Psalm 117, uh, could be viewed as a messianic psalm, a millennial song, as a missionary psalm. Uh, Part of what I'm doing here is I'm building out this tiny little thing is really cool. Okay? And part of what's going on, when you look at it here, I'm not going to go into it beyond what I say right here, is there's an aspect of a messianic psalm in it because uh, Paul quotes uh, the core of Psalm 117 in Romans 15. 
and making reference to the work of Christ. And so there's a messianic pull on it. There's also a millennial pull on it from the standpoint of ultimately there's a looking forward to the day when Christ will reign and there will be the ultimate praise and extolling of the Lord in it. There's also an aspect of it's a missionary psalm in that, as we'll see here in a little bit, there's a universal reminder of the Lord is interested in the entire universal reality of people. And I don't mean just individuals, the totality of people, all nations, all people in that. And uh, the Jews uh, were never to be a people that were to take and hold it to themselves. One commentator says, it was never God's plan that the Hebrew people should exclusively and selfishly hold their blessings to themselves. It was to go to the nations. And by the way, that's true for us too. That's true for us too. And, Uh, Fun fact number five, last one here. I want to just make a notation. I think Psalm 117, we've been in some of the Psalms here and part of what I'm trying to whet your appetite that you'd be interested in diving into the Psalms more and maybe even how to study through some of them. And Psalm 117, as small as it is, it actually lays out a core movement of how many, many of the Psalms are laid out. Let me just take a minute or so here and point that out to you. Generally, within a lot of the Psalms, there is like in the first verse, there is kind of an opening statement. It's like the idea of the chapter. There is the thesis, the the statement of what it's going to be talking about. And here you have in 117 is praise the Lord. (laughs) And it opens with that. Then what comes out of actually the opening statement of things becomes the description of. It's kind of telling you what it's about. You see in verse 2 there it says for. For explains. It, It tells what's happening. So it's the thoughts associated with the opening thesis statement. So you have this statement there, and then what's the facts, what the situations are, what are even the emotions that are behind and coming into this from the psalmist in writing. By the way, this last week I read a tweet by someone who had made mention that sometimes the psalms are harder for those that are younger in life to get a hold of them, and part of the reason is because they haven't had enough life under their feet yet to be able to experience all the hurts and the the wonders of life and the emotions of life to grab all out of it. And, And one of the wonderful things about the psalms is they tell so much about the hurts and the realities and the emotions of life laid full out on the table. So you have an opening statement and then kind of the explanation behind that. And then you have the closing of it. Usually the last verse, Psalm 118, is exactly this way. It has the closing of the statement again. And sometimes it restates it or states it slightly differently. But it's driving to a point. And I think Psalm 117 does as well. Okay? So there's some five fun facts Uh, Let's dive into these two verses for a little bit, all right? God, I pray, would you just show your wonder and your beauty and your greatness? And I would just ask that you would awe us here as we dive into your word. Because we should be awed. Because you are awesome. We pray this in your name. Amen. I've titled this uh, a divine invitation. Let's just start right out because it starts right out with the invitation. Uh, Verse 1, praise the Lord all the nations, extol him all peoples. Now you read that and you might think, actually that kind of sounds not like an invitation, that sounds like a statement, or maybe that's even a command. Uh, The the feel of the Hebrew is actually that this has the idea of this is an invitation. Listen, this is God putting out an invitation. Let's work on this. 
uh, because in the beginning of this, it's in verse one, it's talking to the nations. It's all the nations, and that's unique for a psalm. Most of the psalms carry the idea of directly to God's covenant community, God's people as it's writing to at that time. But this is a term that's broad open to the entire nations. The Hebrew word is goyim in this, and it carries out that idea of the nations. All people groups, the whole of the world, In other words, today it's now all 16,000 plus people groups and language groups. All of them, this is what it's calling to. And the Lord is saying, come, I invite all of you uh, to come and to do something here. Uh, What is that? They're called to praise the Lord. The world in its totality is invited to praise. The world in its totality is invited to praise. Sometimes we can forget that. Especially in American culture where it's so individualistic, we can think it's all about me. But know this, the Lord, as we'll see here in just a little bit, the Lord loves you, no question about it. But the Lord is putting this invitation not only out to you, but to the whole world of it all. In fact, I just kind of want to bring something in here, if we can, for a moment here. Um, If you know another language... And uh, of all the nations, if you know another language and you can say praise the Lord in that language, okay, I, I would just, just I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything weird with you on it. I just like the last first service we had like from all over the world. It was really cool. Uh, it, would you just stand up? If you know a language that you could say praise the Lord and, and not like be totally freaked out in here, it's just us. Hey, really, how cool it is. Can you just imagine this? That the Lord loves the nations. And the Lord invites the nations to be able to come and to praise the Lord. Ever since Adam and Eve. Ever since Noah. Ever since Abraham. Ever since John 3.16. God's eyes have been on the whole. Not on just the individuals. And his desire with his invitation here is that the whole would be involved. It is a totality invitation to praise the Lord. By the way, an invitation. We've just gone through holidays. You've probably gotten some invitations. An invitation, when it is first understood, you can, you can read an invitation. You can study an invitation. You, you can parse an invitation out in all its little details. You can even talk to other people about that invitation. But an invitation requires a response. And you are actually not part of the party if the invitation has not been responded to. And not just responded to, but then followed up by going and being a part of the party. Am I right? I just want to put it on the table. The Lord has put out the invitation. Have you responded? Not just by reading it, not just by knowing about it, but by responding, by RSVPing the work of Christ in your life and participating in the praise of God. By the way, let's work on that. Because the praise of God here, this word for praise here, it, it, it comes from Hallel, is the Hebrew word. That's transliterated into English, into hallelujah. Well, what the text is saying here is, hallelujah the Lord, all the nations. That would be a more accurate understanding of the text. Hallelujah the Lord. All the nations. Praise the Lord. All the nations. 
The world in its totality is invited to praise. Secondly, the world by its tribes are invited to extol. Listen, you can see praise the Lord all the nations, extol them all peoples. Now oftentimes in the Psalms, the Psalms has a way of repeating things. There's two reasons generally why the repetition. One is for emphasis. I mean, it's like in case you didn't get the first one, maybe the second one you'll get. It, it, it helps with that. It, it, it puts more of an exclamation point on it. But it also can expand in that. And, and this is doing both here. There's an expansion. Let, let me show you from, from the text here. Uh, extol, the word here. It's shabach. It's different than the word praise. So they're using a different Hebrew word here. Uh, this word shabach is only used three times in the Psalms. It carries this idea of not just hallelujah the Lord, but it carries this idea of to loud the Lord. It carries this idea of to sing and to sing, to say and to sing out loud. It has this idea to boast, to congratulate. It has this idea to make famous. It has this idea to make much of someone. It, it's, I like it, this way. it has this idea of to brag on. Listen, I'll just say this. This carries the idea, you don't brag on someone all alone. When you brag on someone, the whole context of that, meaning of that is other people are around. To be able to participate in hearing you brag on. This word for extol here is what I'm getting at, has this idea of it's not just kind of this quiet praise, but it also conveys this idea of out loud for others to be able to hear. In fact, one commentator says it conveys the idea that God should be praised with voice loud enough for everyone to hear. How interesting is that when really we kind of live in a culture or have lived or over the centuries, mankind has kind of developed this idea that the reverence of the Lord is this very solitudinal kind of a thing, this very individualist, this almost internal kind of a thing to where we all just are like in our own little zone and, you know, it's just me and the Lord and that's it. Now, I would just say that this, uh, there's times for that, but that's not the whole understanding of what it means. Because part of what hallelujah in the Lord includes is, is the next part to extol the Lord. There is an outwardness of it for other people to hear. I'm kind of the guy in my preaching where I'm just not like, you know, laid back and calm in it. Today I'm sitting, sometimes I'm standing in it, but like sometimes with my voice I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go in that. Why is that? Because that is part of the reality of understanding who the Lord is. The Lord is not looking for boring, flat people. The Lord prays. The Lord is looking for people whose praise extols and includes some loudness so that others can hear it. I just want to say this, by the way. You are welcome to do that. Listen, the Corinthians had it messed up to where their expression of the Lord was out of bounds and out of control and was a show. Not that. But this whole idea also that the reverencing of the Lord is this solitudinal quietness like a monk Hey, there's times for that. But that's not the norm as well. And I'm not even saying it's in the middle. It's just like somewhere in there. There needs to be both of these things. Hallelujah, the Lord. And that includes it so that other people can participate in it. And I just want to let you know, especially second service here, the quieter service. Hey, you are welcome to give an amen. You are welcome to give a praise the Lord. You are welcome to say, that's right. You're welcome to say, preach it. Hey, it's not for me. 
It's not what it's about. It's for us. It's an agreement. I'm in on that, and I just don't even want to be quiet about it. (laughs) Extol him. By the way, keep moving. You're all peoples. This is, again, a different word than all nations right above it. All peoples, I love this. This emphasizes the idea of each and every people group, the word here. The, the, the first statement, praise the Lord, all the nations, has the whole. This next statement, it stole him all the peoples, is kind of giving this idea that every tribe, every language, you too. How interesting is it that here we are in the smallest chapter of the Bible, and the smallest chapter of the Bible is making this thing that the whole matters and the individual pieces matter. Because this would be the kind of chapter you're reading through the Psalms and you're like, what's with that? Poor little guy. It's got like nothing to say. It's only two verses. Wait a second. This is God's word. There are no small chapters in God's word. Am I right? There are no meaningless verses in God's word. And this chapter, the smallest chapter, two, ver- two chapters later, is followed by the biggest. And it's not like Psalm, 9, Psalm 119 goes to Psalm 1 and says, well, You ain't nothing, you little buddy boy. Hey, they are God's word, and in it, it carries this idea that people matter. The whole and everyone matters. Listen, if you feel like at the end of a year, like you are a tiny little dot in a giant cog of this world, you're going to find out in the next statement built upon this why you matter. And I want for you to know this right up front. It's not because you are great. It is because God is great. And there is no small voice. And there is no small person. All matter. There is no small tribe in the world. They all matter. And God has invited them all. The invitation. What I love about this is before we go to verse two. Friends, this is telling us just God's heart. What does the Lord yearn for? Not projects. Not programs. He yearns for people. The Lord is not yearning for lists. He's yearning for lives. The Lord is not all wrapped up in functions. He yearns for faces. The Lord is not all caught up in some system or spreadsheet. He's interested in souls. Careers aren't the issue, kinsmen are. Academic degrees are not the issue, but descendants of him are. The Lord has a priority on people. And we can get lost in the cog of the system. Listen to the words, John Phillips, three paragraphs here. He says, number one, God sees the Russians and the Chinese and the Cubans and the Vietnamese and his heart longs over them. 
While countries like these are stuck in building secular paradises on earth, motivated by the vision of man without God, that all things result from the blind idea that man is simply a social insect caught in the web of time, the psalmist calls to them, Come, join in the praise of Yahweh, all you atheist nations. Secondly, he says, God sees the Europeans and the Americans seeking a solution to their problems in humanism and materialism, in pleasure-seeking and money-making, in permissiveness and drugs and drink, living on lands once ablaze with gospel truth now wrapped in darkness. And the psalmist calls to them, Oh, leave your humanism and materialism and come join in on the praise of Yahweh, all you secular nations. And lastly, he says, God sees and his heart weeps over the millions in India and Japan, bowing down to wood and stone, making pilgrimages to shrines to revere insects and rats and cows and crocodiles and carved images or the spirits of their ancestors. And the psalmist calls to them, Oh, leave your false gods and come join in the praise of Yahweh, all you idolatrous lands. Well said. May the atheist nations come. May the secular nations come. May the idolatrous nations come. By the way, do you understand that that invitation, if understood the way that it is, God is having an invitation out even to wicked, evil people in our world. Do you know that? Because that's a hard one to grab a hold of. We can kind of understand it when people are struggling and they're kind of moral but kind of not. But yet this, if it's truly to the world, this includes to people that are wicked and evil in our world. God's invitation is out to them that they would come. They would participate in the hallelujah and in the making loud of the Lord. It just causes me to ask within me, am I really interested in the whole? In all? Or do systems catch my attention? Or lists? Or tasks? Or careers? Or degrees? It's a call to people. Quickly. Why does he do that? Here's the basis, the foundation of the invitation. Verse 2, 4. Four is the telling of why. Uh, praise the Lord, extol him, all the nations, all the peoples. Four, 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 why? Well, number one, because of the Lord's steadfast love. Look, for great is his steadfast love towards us. Love that. His love, his loving kindness, the word is hesed. It's, it's an Old Testament uh, word that we could replace the New Testament word grace for. We can say it, why is the Lord's invitation out to all the nations, all the people, everywhere? Because his grace is great. That's why. It's great towards us. And in this whole thing of it all, his love is steadfast. It prevails. It's mighty. It's strong. It's great. Listen to me. God's invitation is not made out because you are awesome or I am awesome. God's invitation is not given out to anyone because they are awesome. God's invitation is given out because of his steadfast love. 
And the fact of the matter is, you and I are not very good at being people of steadfast love, just shooting it straight. And look over the last year. Let's talk about how steadfast our love has been to the Lord or to other people. Listen, we got some flat tires over the last year on that one, right? Maybe steadfast here and there, but not like this. The Lord's love is steadfast. And if you come in here this morning and you're at a place with the Lord where you like question the Lord or wonder who the Lord is or like what is up with the Lord. Listen, at this point in time, out of this tiny little text, there's one thing you need to know. That his love is steadfast and he loves you. That's why he put an invitation out. By the way, that even means that those people that are wicked and horrible, that he even has a steadfast love for them and that his invitation continues to be made out to them. They will one day stand before the Lord and give an account. No question about that. We sang about it. But know this in it, as in this, this is a steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, the next thing, next thing. Because of the Lord's enduring faithfulness. It's not just a steadfast love, but look, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. How long does it endure? That's a long time. From what I remember, it's the idea of his faithfulness is forever. It's eternal. It never, ever ends. Listen, over the last year, there have been times where you've been faithful. There have been times where you've not been faithful. Agreed? But know this, over the last year, there has never been a nanosecond where the Lord has not been faithful to his faithfulness. Because the Lord is faithfulness. By the way, the Lord is the definition of faithfulness. The Lord is the definition of love. And his love is steadfast and his faithfulness endures forever. He's not in and out on it. What the Lord said all the way back in Genesis 3... And two and one, he is faithful to that. Into the future. Always. And that, my friend, means that if you've come to the place where you have received Christ as your Savior, he is faithful to that. And it's not founded upon your faithfulness. That would be like a great time to like hallelujah the house. I don't know what your last year has been like. I don't know what the last month has been like. I don't know what the last week has been like. I don't know what yesterday was like. I don't know what last night was like for you. I don't know what this morning was like for you. But he loves you. And he is faithful. And there has never been a time where his love and faithfulness to you is based upon your love and faithfulness to him. There has never been a time to where the Lord's love and faithfulness is founded upon, based upon your love and faithfulness back to him. Man, that should just cause the end of the year to get lighter and the start of the year to start out with a fresh breath. Because know this, you and I are going to be unfaithful at times and whatever in the coming year. And you and I are not going to be steadfast in our love to the Lord and to others in the coming year. Know that, sure to that. Know this, the Lord's love for you is steadfast and he is faithful to who he is and what he has said. Bank on it. 
And that's what keeps us going. Otherwise, we're hopeless. It is founded upon the nature and the character of God. His invitation and his work in our lives. So what do we do and be? Well, I would say this. Love what the Lord loves. And what does the Lord love? The Lord loves people. This is not an invitation to trees or bunnies or kitty cats or dogs. It's not an invitation to the environment. It's an invitation to people. And his love and faithfulness is in reference to people. Friends, people matter. Systems and structures are important, but people are the priority. Love what the Lord loves. Love people. More of that in 2018 for me. Secondly, what do I do? Well, love people, but here's what I would just do. Do what the end of the psalm says. What is it? Praise the Lord. Now, here's one of the things that happens within who we are. One of the things that takes place within who we are here as I wrap this up is this. We're told to praise the Lord at the beginning. We're told why to praise the Lord. It's because of the Lord and who he is and his steadfast love and his enduring faithfulness. And then we get to the end and we see praise the Lord again. And then there's this thing within us, being totally transparent with you, where it's like, yeah, but, but the Lord knows all my trash. I mean, but who am I? I mean, but, but, the text, but, but, let me say it this way with one T. Get off your butts. Get off our butts and praise the Lord. But, but, no. The text is the call, the invitation to praise the Lord. Yeah, but I haven't, no, praise the Lord. Because there is something that's going on. I even just in, in my counseling discipleship work over the last decades, I think one of the things I continue to see that I've kind of missed is, is helping people in the functional aspects of things, rearranging things. And, and that's a part of it, and that's really important on it. And, and doing this and doing that. But listen, when, when one of the things that is the core generating out of what really causes change in people's life is not even the functional things, because frankly, even people who don't know Christ can do a lot of the functional things. But, but the person who is in Christ is the person that can praise the Lord. And it's out of the praising of the Lord, even when I'm not feeling like it, or even when I'm not at the place to where it's like, I, I got my act together. It's in the praise of the Lord that I see the Lord, and I come to understand more who the Lord is, and the fact that he loves me, and he is faithful to me, even when I'm not to him. And then out of that, as I see who the Lord is, and I praise the Lord with my eyes, I praise the Lord with my heart, I praise the Lord with my actions, I praise the Lord at work, I praise the Lord at school, I praise the Lord in relationships and conflicts. And as I am doing that, it is out of that, as I seek to praise the Lord, that the functions start falling into place. And there is helpful things to help within the functions of. But if the praising isn't going on, listen, you can be an atheist and do a lot of scripture and it'll work. 
So, how do we finish the year and start the year? Hmm. Let's praise the Lord. But, isn't, am I not right? Isn't there that little thing in your heart that does that? And here's what we need to do. Truth needs to triumph over my own wrong thinking. And when truth triumphs over thinking, truth wins. So Lord, I pray, would you help us to think more rightly? Would you help us to see you more lightly, rightly? God, there is just this thing within us that is there. We just so struggle to earn your favor. We so struggle just to earn your love. We so struggle that we seek to earn your faithfulness, God. But it's not based upon us. You know we are weak. Personally, God, after coming out of some years of a season of being kind of set in the things that I am most weak in, all of this is being exposed in my own life. I try to please you out of my own efforts. And you just want us to delight in you. And God, it's in our delight that we begin to act in ways that honor you. Help us to get the priorities right. Help us to be able to see you and hallelujah you. God, for some, might even be a step of we're just quiet in our faith with the Lord. And even here in this house, when we come, we just need to sing louder. We need to participate more with our voice, not based upon who we are and what we know and how big we are, but solely based upon who you are. So God, I ask that we might finish this year encouraged. Encourage that we don't enter a new year based upon how hard we have to work for you. But God may be renewed in the fact of falling face down before you in praise for the fame of your name because of your steadfast love because of your enduring faithfulness and knowing that in doing that you will do a work in us. So we step into what is unknown ahead, unknown to us. But we do know one thing, Lord, going into this year. We've been invited to praise you. Hallelujah, you. Lord, more of that in me, more of that in us, for the fame of your name, in Christ's name.